the worst thing you can do for great people is bring an average person in um, because it creates them. And so that's, I think, always our goal. You know, would this person lower the, lower the kind of standard of the rest of the employees? Hello and welcome to The Melting Pot. I'm your host, Dominic Monkhouse. The Melting Pot is a result of my hunger and curiosity for optimizing business performance, exploring corporate culture, customer addiction, and building high-performing teams. It's full of advice from my guests, entrepreneurs, fellow business authors, and examples from some of my work over the last few years, coaching the CEOs and leadership teams of some amazingly successful tech firms. The Melting Pot is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way, to help you build a highly scalable business and realize the potential of your life's work. If you enjoy the episode, head over to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast to find today's show notes and more editions of The Melting Pot. While you're there, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you can pick up a copy of my new book, Plan B, How to Scale Your Technology Business Faster and Achieve Plan A. Enjoy. Hello, today I'm chatting to Sam Franklin. Sam is the founder and CEO at Otter. He was head of people at another startup. And for about three months, he found himself doing maybe four or five interviews a day. And he was completely struck by how soul-sucking and life-destroying the recruitment process was for many applicants. And so he set up his own business, found some co-founders, bootstrapped it for a bit, then got investment. And now their aim is to be the number one platform for job seekers looking for jobs in tech firms in London. So to start with, they've gone niche. They're doing what they are passionate about in, in an obvious niche. And just a fantastic story about how, how to solve recruitment from the candidate's perspective and then how potentially to drive good behavior from employers so that they get best people applying for their jobs. Great conversation with Sam. I really enjoyed it. I'm sure you will too. Hey, I'm Sam Franklin. I'm the co-founder and CEO at Otter. We are building a smarter way to find jobs at tech companies hiring in London. Sam, why did you create another job board at the point where it seems that job boards are going out of fashion? Great question. I think the first point is we're not a job board. Um, <laughs> so I'm deeply, you're now deeply insulted. The first question, and he's yeah, insulted, and insulted me. It's a great question because I think what job boards have got a bad rep for is they often have either too many jobs or not enough jobs. And so at one end of the spectrum, you've got LinkedIn that has 20 million jobs. Or that's what they advertise. And at the other end of the spectrum, you've got these very small niche boards that maybe you've got a handful, maybe 10 or 20 jobs that are relevant for you. And so... Where we sit is that we actually aggregate roles from tech companies. Um, so we're not trying to cover the whole world. But our promise is if there's a tech company that's interesting, we have their jobs on our platform. And so why we started the company, I was speaking to a lot of job seekers in my old job. I was the head of people for about three months. And I interviewed mainly engineers, product managers, quite technical roles. And one of the things that people kept telling me was, I found this a very frustrating process. I didn't know what to do. I didn't have the support. And I found job search an incredibly soul-crushing experience. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree. It's a very visceral, it's a very visceral uh, term. And, and I think 
I was thinking about starting a business at the time with with my two eventual co-founders. And when you hear a term that's so emotionally charged, as an entrepreneur, you want to dig in and understand why. And of course, job search is incredibly incredibly pivotal. And it seems that the options out there are average, are rubbish. And so that really got me excited to explore how can we build something that's way better, that is more innovative, that gets people feeling confident, exciting, and effectively accomplish what they want, which is find that dream job. Fab. So uh, what what happened on your journey from like realizing that this was soul-sucking to having Otter up and running? Like, did you, did you take some false starts, some random random cul-de-sacs yeah so one of the things that we explored for a while was um this got squashed pretty quickly after trying it in the market could you charge candidates to help them find a job and the thinking here was most other job products are very incentivized towards the companies because they're the ones that pay the pay the money and if you could have a product that's paid by the candidates you'd be incentivized 100 percent to work for them and we loved the positioning because you could say something like, we're the only jobs product that really works for you. However, when you really dig in, people don't want to pay. And I still find that a little bit crazy because you will probably go for dinner this week, this month, and pay more than you've spent ever on trying to move jobs. And you will spend £500 when you move flats because that's the rental contract. And yet people are spending sometimes £0 on their career. And so we were really interested by that concept, but the best people don't want to pay and the rest of the people don't want to pay enough. And so we quickly moved away from that. But that month spending time trying to see what people really cared about was incredibly valuable because effectively we managed to see what people cared about the most, what their burning pains were. And that led us to say, okay, there's so much space to create an amazing job search experience that now is Otter. What's your revenue model? So you're charging, you're, you're charging people to post jobs? Not quite. On your so site? The revenue model comes out from effectively a year of investment. So you spend about a year just acquiring job seekers. And the way you do that is you aggregate the jobs, which you can do for free using technology. And then you say to job seekers, we have a load of jobs that you can apply for. And over time, you build a good set of candidates, a talent pool. And then you say to companies, hey, we now have a decent percentage of the candidates in London or whichever city looking for jobs. Do you want to pay for premium features? And those premium features might be the ability to headhunt or the ability to be shown to more diverse candidates or the ability to get insights on what salaries to set. So effectively, you kind of build this leverage where to start with, you're free. You are giving effectively free value to companies to then be in a position later to charge them. Okay, so diverse candidates, what does that mean at Otter? So for us, we ask the question, um, you know, what's your gender identity? What ethnicities do you um, relate to? Uh, what's your sexual orientation? And so for us, it's a variety of things. Really, we're trying to say, are you not a white male? <laughs> um, because in tech, that is particularly the most uh, common group. And so most other things fall into something diverse. Um, we allow our, our companies to look at a more granular level. So if they're looking very specifically to bring in people from um, you know, a non-binary gender background, then that's something that we can help them because some of our users have said, yes, that's, that's me. And the way oh, I, I, I'm, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm still reeling from uh, being 
chastised by Francis Fry from Harvard Business School about my inability as the managing director to hire a diverse enough workforce. And she just told me I had just failed to look hard enough. Uh, I was just thinking about, you know, when I was hiring sysadmins, I don't think I ever saw a CV, certainly at Rackspace, I never saw a CV from a non-male sysadmin. Um, And when I did see them elsewhere at Pier 1 and uh, at IT Lab, I hired them if they had the requisite skills. Um, And so a platform which would allow me access to a pool of talent like that would have been would have been fantastic. Now, I mean, that presupposes that they're actually on your platform. Correct. Um, the thing that we do that works quite well is that we we have a stance that we care a lot about these things. And so, for example, we make very public what is the gender split at a company. And there are companies in London that are pretty terrible. There'll be 100 people plus and have like maybe five women in the whole company. And oh, yeah. when, you, when you take a stance on things like that, you start to attract the people that that are diverse, that do care about these things. I mean, I mean, once people feel as though this is a place that they can be at home, then then it can balloon. I mean, at, at Rackspace, the first 150, I think, something near 30 or 40 were South African uh, because, you know, actually people would apply to come and work for us from South Africa mm-hmm. because it's like, if I'm coming to London, I'm going to go and work at a company where I can speak Afrikaans and there's a braai every Sunday. Mm-hmm. You know, why would I not do that? And so, you know, it's the same thing, isn't it? So what problem don't you solve? Like if you're a candidate or a, if you're a company, what problem aren't you solving for a company? So recruitment is pretty wide. And so I would, I would describe it as we don't solve the assessment stage. So what we effectively do is we say, here's a candidate. We think they love your job. Um, you go interview them. You go understand if they're a fantastic candidate or not, mainly because uh, when you, when I, well, I believe when you're trying to start a company, you need to be very focused. And there are hundreds of thousands of companies trying to solve this problem of how do you set up tests, you know, AI interviews, uh, various ways to be better at assessing your 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 skills uh, as as an interviewed candidate. Uh, and so we ignore that. We we basically say to companies, here's the candidate, you go suss out if they're good for your company. Okay, so you're doing the top of the funnel stuff. Yeah. And it, is your pool do you believe your pool is a better quality? So one of the ways we've built the product is there's just a little bit more friction. And this is very deliberate in that most of the job board platforms have been moving to a world that they prioritize convenience. And so LinkedIn is a good example. They have this product called Easy Apply, and you can send off your LinkedIn profile within 20 seconds to a job. And what we believe is that that's really bad for candidates because it doesn't necessarily show why they're interested, why they're fantastic for that role, and it makes it too easy. And the way, the reason I'm saying this is we really believe that if you can make that added piece of friction, you just generally attract more quality people. And it, the, the hypothesis has proven out pretty well. Like If you look at the quality of the users on Otter, for every 100 that apply to a role, more will be progressed from Otter than Glassdoor, LinkedIn, most of our competitors. Um, so it's a bit of a selection event, basically. It's not that we've gone and said, you're not quality enough for Otto, you're not allowed on. It just happens to attract more interesting, more quality people. And uh, when people apply via Otter, do they get the option to do a covering letter? 
So we have almost like a middle ground. So I've done quite a lot of research on this. Oh, go on, go on. Because I see, I will absolutely not even read a CV unless it doesn't come with a covering letter. So, right. Because, because I just think otherwise, I, what I see is I just see these random CVs that, you, that zero friction, you know, I get 100 C, CVs from Indeed and I just go, they haven't. They haven't even worked out whether I could employ them. No wonder they get rejected 101 times out of 99. Yeah. And They're just spamming employers. Yeah, spot on. Um, so we, I've spoken to a lot of candidates who think cover letters are quite archaic and frankly find them very hard to know what to write and, and what's the right I don't thing. care. I actually don't care anything. <laughs> I, 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 completely, I completely agree with you. There needs to be something there. We've got more of a middle ground, which basically is a simple question that says, why do you want to work at insert company and, okay. and most candidates if they're good will write two or three paragraphs so it effectively does solve what a cover letter is doing and we give people tips on what to write and how long to write it and really what that does is it allows people to feel like it's a little a little bit more modern than a covering letter but they still are able to sell themselves put forward their personality and effectively get through to to the next stage and, and that's one of the reasons that people progress well from otter because the rest of the platforms are encouraging you not to write this stuff. They're encouraging you to basically be the bland candidate that just gets, you know, muddled with the rest of them in the, in the pile. Okay. Um, you, I think you said at the beginning, London tech firms in London, is that, that's your niche today? It's our niche today. I think the likelihood will be next year. At some point we will launch outside of London. The, the real reason for being in London is it allows us to be focused. And so yeah. we're incubating this. We're solving what are, the, what are the biggest problems for both sides? How do we monetize this really well? And so when we're ready to launch, we've got all the pieces of the puzzle ready to go. Um, so the ambition will be global. I don't know how soon that will be. Okay. Um, what else? What, what t- all types of jobs in tech firms? Yeah, correct. So this was pretty deliberate. Um, so we cover anything from HR, marketing, sales, engineering, product management, et cetera. And the thinking was from a product that you build, it actually doesn't look that different. So to have jobs in engineering and HR, it's the same thing for us in terms of building software. And we believe that there's a missing brand in the space to say, hey, we know what a good tech company looks like. And if you want to find a job at a tech company, you come to us. And there have been quite a few job boards or marketplaces that have taken a a very specific function. So let's say product design. Um, But what that loses, it loses the dominance of, you know, people know about you and they talk about you and they, uh, it just becomes a bit more of an authority if you, if you cover all the jobs. And so, yes, we cover all the jobs. We also cover all the experience levels, anything from a graduate all the way up to VP. We have VP level jobs as well on Otter. And the, how much effort is it for you to write your descriptions of these companies and be like there's there is there's you know job boards typically there's no they don't take a stance there's no editorial coverage and here you've got for every tech firm whose jobs you hope you've got you know you've got what does otter think of this firm yeah it's a good question um we've been very thoughtful in what is the return on doing this and frankly it doesn't take that long to write something quite insightful it might take 30 minutes of research and if you think that you've got a thousand companies, it takes 30 minutes, but those jobs are being shown to hundreds of thousands of people. The payoff is very good. If it means that people feel more, uh, more trust for the product and frankly, they get more insight. And so, um, I, I, uh, I'm very confident this is a good move for us and 
when we started, we didn't actually think we would continue doing it. We did it for you know the hundred companies that we first had on the platform. But then when we hear from users, things like this is interesting. I love the third party view. It's something that we've kept. Well, and also the fact that you can pick, you can either just browse everything or you can start to segment and you can say, you know, what industries are these tech firms in? How big are they? Who are their investors? Yeah. You know, so you can start to be quite discerning about the types of company. And then you've got that sort of third party view of culture and growth and and so on. So you can start to be much more discerning. You know, one of the things that when I'm speaking to clients always is, is that I don't actually think the people they're looking for are currently out of work. I think the people that they're looking for aren't really enjoying work very much. Mm-hmm. And and on a Sunday night with a glass of wine in hand, sitting on the sofa, they're thinking, I wonder there's I wonder if there's anything out there that stops me having to go to this hellhole again tomorrow mm-hmm. um, or work for my boss or work with my team or whatever mm-hmm. that, that's not driving their enjoyment levels. And And the ability to then, you set up alerts so I can I can sort of profile my perfect job and it comes wafting my way and entices me back in. Uh, yeah, pretty much like that. So when you sign up, we ask you 10 or so questions. We look very different to most job products in that if you go on Indeed, you're left with an empty text box and you have to write your job title of your dreams. Um, but we make it much easier. We ask you eight very simple questions, things like how experienced are you, what job type do you like, those types of things. And then from there on, we know a lot about what you like. And then we start to send you, we, we set it as a default to weekly. So we send you weekly the top three jobs that match your experience and preferences. And from there, that really catches people, as you're describing, who are maybe not quite looking with intensity, but if they find something that's interesting, they might be swayed. Um, so that's something that works pretty well for us. Did you deliberately, because it feels to me, not that I have much experience of either job hunting or or dating sites, but did you? It feels more like a dating site than a job board. So, like, well, if, if job boards look like classified ads, this looks a bit more like a dating website. If you see what I mean. So, I I remember our very first user research experience was with one of our ex colleagues, and we showed him something, and he said, "This just looks like Tinder." Um, <laughs> um, and no, no, it's it's really not deliberate. I think what what Otter looks like, um, for those listening, you, you see a job one at a time, which is very different to most job boards. You're not shown a list and you don't have to click around. You're just shown one opportunity at once. And of course, that's similar to, to Tinder where you see one person at a time swipe left to right. But we're not trying, we're not trying to take cues from, from dating apps. With, with dating apps, you have to make a very fast decision on someone's photo. I think the reason we've done it with jobs is most job products are a mess. They're very hard to visually understand what's important and very simply digest what's there. And so, frankly, it's just been based on building a good product. And I think there's been a lot of dating products that have been good and have been uh, very profitable and therefore have taken a lot of product design thinking. And so we haven't done it deliberately. We do hear sometimes people say, oh, this looks like Tinder for jobs, but that's certainly not the that's not the brand that we push because <laughs> you're not going around saying we're the Tinder for jobs. No, no definitely not. Definitely not. Don't say, I won't repeat that ever again. So uh, you said that the, the soul sucking nature of job search came to you while you were, did you say head of talent? Yeah, I was head of people for about three months at, uh, at the startup I used to work for. 
how did you end up doing that job? Um, there was a vacancy effectively in the company. I worked very closely with the CEO on any of the biggest problems and the space I've always been interested in. He said, do you want to give it a crack? Um, knowing that it wouldn't be forever, but I'm sure you could add some value and do it for a short while. And so it was actually not just the recruiting side, but it was the recruiting side, the HR side, and then office management. But in a fast-growing startup, 90% of, of people is, is hiring. And so I spent most of my time interviewing and bringing in new people to the company. And then how long did you do for three months? How many people did you hire in three months? Gosh, I can't remember. I think it probably was about 20. Um, I remember I was doing, I, I, I was doing easily um, 20 interviews a week, so about four a day. So a lot of my time was spent discussing. And it's, it's something that I, I love. And someone who I respect a lot in the industry says it's an art, not a science. And I, I think it, it really is. You have to be well prepared. You have to really understand how to judge people and maneuver the interview in a, in a very positive way. I think, you know, like I'm sure doing these podcast interviews feels like you have to be really, really, really sharp, which I quite enjoy, but also was incredibly draining. So, and so what was your success rate? Oh, those, 20, those 20 people, how many of them turned out to be A players? Gosh, I can't really remember now. Um, you, is, your gut, is your gut feel more than half? So my, my gut feel for my current company so far has been... Ah, well, uh, how, many, how, many, how many are you at Otter? Uh, so there's six of us, there's three co-founders um, and then three employees. Okay. And so you've, you, what are you, you're six for six at the minute, are you? Uh, well, I'm not including myself. Um, I, think, <laughs> I think my co-founders are great and I think uh, our three employees are, are fantastic. So, so far, so good. But we, we hire very slowly. We make sure that the person we are making the offer to is someone we're super excited about because when you're a small company, it really does damage if you don't bring the right person in because they affect, you know, the, the small number of people. And my, my strong belief is the worst thing you can do for great people is bring an average person in um, because oh. it creates them. And so that's, I think, always our goal. You know, would this person lower the, lower the kind of standard of the rest of the employees? I, I have this uh, occasional battle, mostly not because the people I talk to know not to have this fight with me, but I, I you know, there was a, it was an article on EO.com a while ago saying you need to have plodders in your company because otherwise your staff churn will be too high. And it just, it just makes my head explode. This whole idea that, you know, instead of having people who are 10 X or 20 X average, you would deliberately go out and put average people on the team. It's, you know, it's just incredible, but you're right. I think, uh, I think that great people want to work with great people. Mm. you know just, and, and i interviewed uh, dan garrett on the podcast uh, a little while ago from fairwill and he said he, he as the ceo there he only obsessed about two things the quality of the people he hired and ux mm-hmm. and nothing else was important to him just those two things so um i think it's just fantastic but you know i was talking to a client the other day who has 135 open roles wow so in talking to you today, I'm thinking, okay, first thing to do after this is to um, make sure I, I hook them up with you um, and see if you can see if you can help them. Yeah, I mean, when you're in that, that speed of growth, it's very hard. Uh, and something that we care about a lot at Otter is the candidates' experience as they go through the application process. But it's really hard for us because we, we don't control it. We, we don't interview the candidates. And so when we hear people say things like, I never heard back or I didn't get feedback, 
it's it's tough for us because it's often those companies that are hiring 100 plus people that are causing the issues. And so it's trying to find the right balance of making sure that the people who are growing really fast still give good experiences. And, and do you do you do you get candidates to rate their interview experience on the site? So is there that also that third party? So you know you might be you might have a great you might, the opportunity might look great, but if your experience is rubbish, actually you might find that. So you're doing you're doing a you're doing a service to the candidates to improve improve employer behaviour. Yeah. So one of the actually we do two things. We ask people did they hear back very very simply because um, unfortunately part of the reason this is soul crushing is you might make ten applications and five of them you'll just never hear back from. No yes, no no, nothing. And so that's something we like to do because it's super simple and so you can start to say here are the best companies for responding and that gives candidates confidence gives them confidence to say i will spend an hour responding and thinking really carefully about the application so that's one thing we do the other thing we do is when they have an interview we then ask them things like what was the quality of the interviewers and did they ask interesting questions and were they professional and how was the speed of the process and it, it sounds quite rudimentary but actually you start to really surface the companies that are shit and the companies that are great. And you can go to the bad companies and say things like, you know, you really need to improve your your way of hiring because candidates are not having a good experience. And so that's something that we, we like to crowdsource because it, as you say, it starts to encourage good behavior and it starts to almost uh, impress ourselves upon the market by, by changing behaviors. Well, I, I just think it's the type of information that the HR team might not be giving to the executive on a regular basis. Candidates think we're shit at interviewing and therefore we, the best people don't join us. They'll just be saying the market's really tight. The market's really tight. True. So maybe I need to start emailing all the CEOs. Saying, <laughs> I mean, if you go to Dan at, at Fairwell, I'm sure he would say, I, I don't know what their experience is like. I didn't look at, I look at their data. But if, if, I, if I said to him, you know, the experience is bad, I think most entrepreneurs would go, you know, that's not what we're here. That's not what we're here for. We really want to improve the process. I'll go in and, and make sure that's that's changed. Oh, I, I completely agree. You know, I, I'm just I'm just thinking. Do you have a top ten and a and a and a and a wooden spoon list? Uh. <laughs> yeah, I would. I'm not. I'm not going to list them out. Um, part of the part of the project we've, we're planning next year is how how can you encourage companies to be a great hiring experience for candidates. And something that I quite like is uh, Airbnb has this concept called Superhost, where effectively they say things like, if you can maintain a feedback score of nine out of 10 and you have check-in that's quick, et cetera, um, you can be a Superhost. And that makes their listings more prominent, basically. I think that's the same logic will apply to, to jobs, where we'll say things like, if you have a great experience for interviewing, will show your jobs more prominently and more positively to candidates. And slowly over time, you just start to raise the bar, which I think yeah. is um, important for our brand, important for what we're doing for candidates. Yes. And it's interesting because you say Glassdoor are a competitor and that you and you use their glass you use the Glassdoor rating on your site. True. So Glassdoor, we keep it because it's always going to be somewhere where candidates love to see the red flags and the the juicy gossip. Um, We've, we've actually just launched a product recently that tries to be the polar opposite in what Glassdoor is doing for reviews. And what I mean by that is we ask employees who are currently at the employee at the company, what makes this company great? 
we don't ask questions about what should improve or what do you dislike or what's bad about the CEO. We just ask basically what insight do you wish anyone would know about your company? And that has been really, really, really useful for us because candidates love it. It's new information they don't get anywhere else. And they can still go to Glassdoor and find all the frustrated people who didn't get the job or who were fired by HR. And it works in our favor because uh, companies absolutely hate, hate, hate Glassdoor, given what I've seen recently. It, they seem to they, they seem to use the words, oh, they're holding us to ransom. And um, that's not a business model we love. So you know, Glassdoor is definitely going, going to be quite an important part of the, the ecosystem for a while. But we're slowly moving, moving away to more you know, otter style ways of doing things. T- I mean, I've got a client who were pulling their hair out because uh, they had uh, an ex-employee who just kept trolling them on Glassdoor. This person was so motivated mm-hmm. to, you know, create a different profile, log in and complain again and log in and just, you know, so much more motivated than the staff were to post positive reviews. You know, it was like a one man mission. If only the CEO said, don't know who he is, but only if he was this motivated as an employee, we probably never would have partnered company with him. Um, yeah. So, yeah, very, very interesting. So uh, what's the future hold? What? Um, what are your globe? You've got a global ambition. You say then the next thing is to do the rest of the UK. What to pick up sort of Bristol, Manchester, Birmingham. Actually, I think we might uh, leapfrog that just right. because if you think about where the opportunities are at tech companies, London, yeah. the hub of the UK. And if you go to San Francisco, that's bigger than London. If you go to New York, right. than London. And so I think the toss up will be between key European cities or key US cities. Um, not because okay. I value the, the ecosystem in Birmingham and Newcastle and Bristol and Glasgow, but uh, from a being ruthlessly focused on what the biggest opportunity is, you wouldn't go to the rest of the UK next. Okay. And how did you end up here? What was your, what's your backstory? What did you do before you were the co-founder of Otter? So I started my career at McKinsey being a management consultant. I think that was a very useful experience to see what it's like to get fundamentals of business, but maybe after 12 to 18 months, they start to train you to be a consultant. You know, the skills are all about, all about how to handle clients better and how to manage engagements better. And for me, I didn't want to be a consultant. And so that was the point where I started to think, what next? And I'd always wanted to start companies. It just was a case of when. And for me, I always think you need three things to start a company. Quite simply, you need money, basically, because you probably have to cut your job and not take a salary. You need an idea. And then you need, I think, a team because doing a company by yourself is very hard. And at the time I had none of those three. And so I thought the best thing to do other than start a company would be go to join a fast growth startup. And so uh-huh. I joined one called nested.com. They are an estate agent in London. And at the time they were growing very, very fast. And so I joined when there were about 15 people. I saw it grow to about a hundred and during that period, I did everything and anything. And so that was my sort of training ground for seeing what I enjoyed, what I was good at, but also just gave me a load of confidence that being an entrepreneur, you learn so much doing it. You don't have to have the credentials to, to go and give something a go. You need the, you know, the raw capabilities and the, the grit. But doing so many different things at Nested, I think, gave me confidence that I really love the space. And are you, you self-funded or did you go out and raise money? So for the first few months, we were self-funded. We were pretty pretty well-planned as co-founders. We saved enough money that we could do this for a while. 
But I think what happened was we got some traction and it got to the point where we didn't want to spend our own savings on things like spending money on ads or experiments or hiring a designer because that just didn't feel quite right, especially when there was money mostly available on the table. And so at the point of knowing that this was the idea we liked and thought had a lot of gravity and, and excitement, we then went and raised some venture capital. Very good. And did that did the process of raising the venture capital, I mean, is that in itself something that leads you to believe that your idea has legs? Because you've got other people giving you a hard time about it. I think, I think it does because they obviously see many companies every week. They have their roundup meetings where they decide who to invest in and they're taking risk decisions on someone else's money. And so when they say, we think you're, excited, you're exciting and we'd love to back you, I think there is definitely a level of, okay, like we're credible and we're not the only ones who believe in this idea. Not that I think us as a three, my co-founders and me need that as sort of validation, but it is nice validation. It is nice when someone else is saying, we really believe your vision. This is exciting. We think this could also be as big as, as you believe. Excellent. Uh, what is it now where you sit, where you, where you are in your career and you look back, what, what is it that you know now that you wish you'd known earlier? It's a good question. Um, I had pondered this because you, you, you definitely uh, prompted me on this one beforehand. And I think the thing that came up was, I think regret is an incredibly powerful way to make decisions by almost forecasting yourself into the future and being like, will I regret this decision? Yes or no. I think if I look back over my last three, four years, there are a few things that if I'd used that way of thinking, I might've made a different decision. And, and I think it's human nature to, to not like to regret things. People often say you, you regret the things you never did on your deathbed. You won't regret the things you did. And I think that's a, that's a skill in my decision-making. I haven't really picked up until maybe for the last six months. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. So nobody regrets. Nobody wants to, nobody wishes they'd spend more time in the office either. Typically. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I before I started my career, um, I had the option to start McKinsey in October or April. And I remember a very good friend of mine said, Sam, no one ever regrets starting their corporate career later. Later. So <laughs> why on earth would you ever choose October? Go enjoy April and, and go travel for nine months. And that's what I did. Well, you know, I, I, have a, I have a similar sort of conversation often with people who are thinking about whether they should go to university or not. And I say, yeah, I, don't, I don't understand. What do you want to do instead? Oh, I want to go and get a job. I, you haven't had a job. How can you know that that would be better than spending three years on the piss? I just, you know, it's infinitely put offable, isn't it? Yeah. Ultimately, you do need to earn some money and stuff. But if you didn't have to, it's like getting your retirement in before you work. Yeah, agreed. Um, right, fab. And what, uh, what business books have been useful on your journey? Or maybe that you've just read and thought were incredible. So I read a lot. Um, so I oh, what's a lot for you? I probably read uh, two books a month. Um, I try to. When I was doing um, less entrepreneurship, I was reading probably one a week. Uh, So I've I've read lots of fiction, lots of novels. Hundreds, hundreds of books. Fantastic. Right. This is going to be great. What have you got on your list then? I picked out three quite different ones. Um, One quite topical to the space I'm in is called Designing Your Life. Um, It's by Bill Burnett and Dave Evans. And they're professors in Stanford and they run this course on effectively how to choose a career path. And they try and bring in design thinking 
like you would to build a digital product into how you can build your career. And this book just has some excellent exercises into thinking about who you are, what you value, what you'd do if you didn't have money as a concern, all of these types of questions that just try and help you think about where do you take your career path. And I think for me, this is very valuable because it just clarified that entrepreneurship was the thing that I'd really enjoy. For me, building things is what gets me going. The second one that I really enjoy is by a professor in organizational psychology called Adam Grant. He's written a book called Give and Take. And it's all about how reciprocal reciprocal relationships work and how they don't work. And often people think that you have to have this tit for tat relationship. And he calls this matching where you do something and I do something for you. And he rips that apart and talks about how you can be a giver, how you can just do things without asking for anything in return and how that often leads to, to great outcomes, whether it's in a year's time or five years time or, or maybe never. It, it tends to lead to more fulfilling work and more fulfilling relationships. So that's something that I have always enjoyed thinking about because frankly, I, I, I feel like being generous is just such a lovely thing to do in life. And um, that was a book that almost uh, validated that, that belief of mine. Yeah, I, well, because well, because there's there is the sort of that nagging sensation that, or nagging thought that um, mean people do better, and it was just nice to have it validated that actually there's a his version of life is that thoughtful, nice people win in the end. But I find it quite comical that there are some there's some people I know who absolutely, having read the same book, they absolutely think that they are givers, and they're not they they are they are at best matches and maybe takers and so whenever I have an interaction with them they'll say things like oh you know we're we're givers and uh and I just smile to myself knowing that I don't actually think that that's true (laughs) what's your what's next what's next on your list My, my third book is by Annie Duke it's called Thinking in Bets and the book is all about decision making under uncertainty. So this was a topic that I studied when I was studying economics at at university and she brings a very different angle to it, which is she was a professional poker player. And what is very good about this book is it it just adds a very interesting way of thinking about why results happen. And if you said to someone, what's the best decision you've ever made? Often people will talk about the best outcome or the best result and they will not separate the decision-making process from the result. And so I think this is just a great book to think about. Life is very, very uncertain, especially when you're in business. You need to think about the various scenarios and the various probabilities. And effectively, if you're not thinking with, with an uncertainty in mind, you're not thinking in the right way at all, in my, in my view. And so this book is just a really quick way of, of getting into that habit. Fab. Well, and if people want to hear actually more from Annie, I interviewed Christopher Lockhead on the podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he had on it Annie on uh, his podcast, following your different uh, a week or so ago. So uh, yeah, no, she's she's a great book and a great guest. So um, yeah, we'll have to see if we can get her on. Sam, that's absolutely brilliant. Thank you very much indeed for sharing with us what difference you're trying to make in the recruitment space and for your the first one designing your life i the for me one of the beauties of the show is that i get every week somebody gives me some 
<laughs> adds things to my reading list. Um, so I've got some stuff to go and read, which is fantastic. Thank you very much indeed for your time today. Awesome. It's been fun. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. If you'd be kind enough to leave a review, it will really help other like-minded entrepreneurs find this podcast and grow our community. For all information relating to this episode, you can go to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find some cracking show notes, additional reading and links relating to our guest. There you can also find my blog and past episodes of my subjectively not crap newsletter, where I'll update you on the best articles I read that week, some recommended books and other podcasts. Thanks, and I will see you next week.